Divine Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Blackhawk, South Dakota, is happy to share God's Word preached for you by Pastor Randy Sturzenbecker. We pray that you will rejoice in Christ crucified and resurrected for you. The waters of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the forgiveness of sins, all for you, from Jesus. Our Old Testament reading today is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 9. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, why shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please read along with me the catechetical review, the sixth petition. And lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. The seventh petition, but deliver us from evil. What does this mean? We pray in this petition, in summary, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when our Lord last hour comes, Give us blessed end, and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord.
The Holy Gospel for the third Sunday of Advent from Matthew, the 11th chapter. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, those born among women, there has been no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the gospel of our Lord. We continue by making the confession of our Christian faith in the Nicene Creed. You'll find that in the back cover of your hymnal. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. I would invite all of our children to please come forward. You guys can have a seat right there if you'd like. Yeah, we got time. Come on over, guys. There's plenty of room. Good morning. Great to see you all this morning. If you turn around and look behind you there, do you see the Advent wreath right there with those candles on it? How many are burning? 
Three are burning, right? How many, what colors are they? Okay, two blue ones, and the pink one we wrote, we lit today. Today is the Sunday where we say rejoice. It's the Sunday of rejoicing. Do you know what rejoicing is? What, rejoicing is joy. Do you know what joy is? What's joy? Somebody tell me what joy is. What's joy? When you're happy. All right. What makes you happy? Playing with what? Playing with your parents. That makes you joyful. That makes us rejoice. What makes us joyful? God makes us. We're going to come back to that. What makes us joyful? Food. Oh, yes, that's a great one. How about this? Are you, do you rejoice when you feel good? Yes. Yeah, it's a lot better than when you're sick, right? When you're sick, you just don't feel good, and you're not very joyful. Yeah, you want to get better quick. When we're here in church and we look around in here, what kind of things tell us about joy? What kind of things here in the church that we see tell us about joy? God does. Jesus does, right? What else? Church in whole, as a whole gives us joy. If you look behind you right there, you see the nativity scene right there. Do you see it? Is there joy there? What kind of joy is in the story of Christmas? Yeah, well, let's, let's just talk about who baby Jesus' parents were. Who were they? Mary and Joseph, that's right. Now, do you think they had joy because they had a baby? Yeah, a baby is always a gift from God. And they were joyful. And there were all kinds of others who were joyful. The angels in heaven, they were joyful. And they said, rejoice for your Savior is born into the world. And the shepherds, they came. Were the shepherds joyful? The shepherds were out in the field and they came to see this king that had been born. That joy of that Christmas morning gives us joy as well. Because you know what Jesus would come to do? Heal. He would come to heal and do miracles, right? He'll come to heal. Mm-hmm. What else did Jesus do? He came to forgive us and give us peace and give us joy. And he did that by going to the cross. He did that by taking all of our sins, everything that would rob our joy. And forgive us. And give us forgiveness. That's right. And when we know that we're forgiven, when we know that God is not mad at us. Yeah. He's happy. He's happy with us. How does that make us feel? Happy. Happy. Happy and Joyful. Joyful and good. And good. That's right. That's why this Sunday, as we get ready for celebrating Christmas, is called the Sunday of Rejoicing. Because God has kept His promise He sent us our Savior, and He's forgiven all of our sins. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer, shall we? You pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming into our world. Thank you for taking away our sin. Thank you for giving us joy and hope. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you all for coming up here today. In the name of Jesus, 
Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for all of the joy and the rejoicing that you have given to us. Everything that should separate us from you, that should take away our hope and introduce doubt, you have dealt with through our Savior Jesus Christ. Continue, Father, to give us joy and rejoicing in our Savior and his gifts. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, you see the candle lit, the third candle, the pink candle, the rejoicing candle. And we might not be rejoicing right now as you run through the to-do list of everything you have to do in the next few days to get ready. We may not be rejoicing as we look at whatever impending storm is coming and what that's going to do and how much snow it's going to give. But if we set all of that aside and we look in here at the gifts that God has given to us, just step back and look at what our Savior has done for us, it results in absolute rejoicing that our Savior has taken you who were born dead in your sin, destined to hell eternally and separated from anything that's good. He's plucked you out of that. He's washed you in the waters of baptism. He's implanted faith in you. He's taken away all your sins by connecting you to Jesus on the cross. He's given that all to you as a gift so that you might rejoice. He's given us the promise that he continues to come to us And give us this hope and peace and joy. Right here, in the preaching of his word, guided by his Holy Spirit, joy comes into our world. Right here, in the very body and blood of Jesus given to us, he comes to us again, just like he came into the world, very physically with Mary and Joseph. Here he is, in his body and blood for you. For the forgiveness of your sins, the strengthening of your faith, to push back fear and doubt and all of those things, and to give you joy and hope and promise. Those great and powerful gifts that he comes to us, they should make us immovable. Those gifts, that joy that God gives to us, that should make us rock solid in his promises. We should be that light on the hillside that cannot be hidden. But what happens when they don't? What happens when those promises of God don't seem real? When doubt comes into our lives and into our world? When we have real questions that don't seem to have real answers, now what? What do we do with the doubt? We know that God answers prayer. James reminds us the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. And you've been praying for a long time. Praying about all kinds of things. Praying about your addiction and the situation hasn't got any better when you're honest with yourself, you know what you're doing is hurting yourself and others. You see the damage it causes. You see the trail of destruction that's left by your actions. The fear and the worry that you carry is turning into doubt. I'm praying, Lord. I'm doing what you ask. And yet, it doesn't seem to change. And then doubt begins to take over. Maybe I can't be saved. Maybe I'm too bad to be saved. Maybe what I'm doing is too sinful. Maybe God is just getting even with me for all of the chaos and the sorrow and the hurt that I've caused everyone else. All of those questions are driven 
by doubt. Maybe for you it's not addiction. Maybe it's a broken trust, broken relationship. Maybe it's a broken body or unmet expectations of where you think you should be. Anytime we expect something from God and he doesn't meet our timeline or he doesn't do it in the way that we think, our old sinful nature wants to introduce doubt. Wants to cause you to think that God doesn't care. Our old sinful nature is really good at answering the unanswerable questions by saying, see, I told you he doesn't exist. See, I told you there was no hope. That's the old nature in all of us when we deal with the mystery of God. Doubt is driven by our old sinful nature that would love to keep us in the dark of fear and worry. Doubt grows when anxiety and worry push aside the reality of who we are in Christ and His promises and what He is currently doing in our lives and promises to continue to do. In the Gospel reading for today, we find the bold preacher John the Baptist. And he's in prison. He's been there for a year. He was doing what every Old Testament prophet did before him, preaching and proclaiming, preparing the way for the king to be coming, Emmanuel, God with us. He was pointing ahead to Jesus. He was baptizing and preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was calling sin out and he was doing it in a very bold way to the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John said, you brood of vipers calling them snakes. John was continuing to be this bold proclaimer of sin, calling out King Herod who had married his brother Philip's wife. And John said to him, Repent, you can't do this. And that landed him in prison. He's been there for a year. By now John is expecting he won't get out. He's expecting that he might very well die there in prison. John's message, every one of them, was always centered in turn from your sin and return back to Jesus. John was unshakable, immovable, rock solid in his proclamation that the Lamb of God comes to take away the sins of the world. He was a light on the hillside that cannot be hidden. And now, a year later, John is struggling with doubt in prison. He's been separated from Jesus for a year. He's been bold preacher and baptizer and now he is in prison and he has nothing but what's going on in his head and he's falling prey to doubt. He sends word by his disciples to Jesus with a question, a question that comes from his own doubt. Are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? He's been in prison. He no doubt expects to die there. Alone and separated from Jesus, John's old sinful nature does the same thing that ours does when we're separated from him. Fear, worry, anxiety grows into doubt. And doubt, left unchecked, will manifest itself in unbelief. When Jesus heard John's doubt-filled questions... 
He gave him the only remedy for fear, for worry, for anxiety, and for doubt. Jesus directed John to the very real and physical evidence that Jesus was the one he'd been proclaiming about. Jesus was the expected one, the King of Israel, God with us. Jesus answered and sent back this answer to John. Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John was doing these, or Jesus was doing these mighty miracles right there in the communities that were surrounding the jail where John was in. He didn't direct John to go find the answer in himself with some soul searching. Jesus directed the doubter, John, to the external evidence that Jesus was the one to come. He was the promised one of the Old Testament. He was the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world, including John's doubt and our doubt. Jesus' answer to John was to draw closer to him. What's the opposite of doubt? Now, most of the time, we would answer belief. We would say in church, belief, or we would call it faith, faith always clings to Jesus. When my faith feels weak, when doubt begins to creep into my thoughts, it's not because Jesus is wrong. It's not because Jesus has changed his mind and gone back on his promises. It's not because my sins are so horrible that Jesus would never forgive them. The reasons for our doubt is because your evil enemy, the devil, is trying to drive a wedge between you and the hope that you have in Christ. Worry happens when I look at my current situation and I realize I'm not in control. Fear happens when I realize, excuse me, <coughs> that I don't know how things are going to turn out, <coughs> turn out for me, and uncertainty grips me. Anxiety happens when I feel caught in a situation and there are no good options for me. And all of those things build up doubt. Doubt grows. And as we talked about, if doubt is not dealt with, doubt will end in unbelief. It's a sin to doubt the promises of God. There's no, no doubt about that. The gifts that God gives, including faith, are total and complete when he gives them to us. Doubting God's promises are a direct result of our sinful flesh trying to convince you that God will not or cannot do what he promises. The remedy for doubt is to draw near to Jesus. Confess your doubt. Place it in the nail-scarred hands of the one that took his body and went to the cross for you for your forgiveness, died for you, and took away all of your sins. Confess your doubt and depend that when Jesus said, it is finished, you're forgiven. Your doubt forgiven by Jesus. Then, with all of the confidence and the power of his word, hear the proclamation that's given to you as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by Jesus' authority. Your sins are forgiven. 
and you are free, forgiven of your doubt. Draw near to where Jesus promises to be in where he works. Be in his word. Hear his word preached to you. Be here to receive his very body and blood. Remember what John says, John the gospel writer. He writes this later in his gospel about his word. But these things are written. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Dear saints, draw near to Jesus. Doubt doesn't mean you're weak. doesn't mean you're a second-rate Christian. It is a sure and certain symptom of the battle that you're fighting with the evil one. The evil one who would want to convince you that there is no joy, there is no rejoicing, there is no hope for you. He wants to introduce doubt. There have been many people in the scriptures that have doubted. Many people that we look at as the the founders of faith, they've struggled with doubt. Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, doubted that God would protect him. Thomas doubted that Jesus had really risen from the dead. John the Baptist in prison doubting if Jesus was the one or should we be looking for someone else. The answer to doubt is never to pull away or to separate yourself or to isolate yourself from others or Jesus. It's just the opposite. The remedy for doubt is to draw near to where Jesus is. God spoke to Elijah and strengthened him, and he continued preparing the way for the coming king. Jesus stood right there in the midst of Thomas's doubt and said, Thomas, take your hand and touch my hand. Take your hand and feel my side. Stop your doubting and believe. And Thomas gave one of the clearest and boldest descriptions in the scripture. My Lord and my God. John was directed to the very things that Jesus was doing, the very physical things right there in the communities where he was in jail. John saw those things, and he was comforted that he might rejoice. Jesus has given those same gifts to you. He gives us peace with God, patience in time of tribulation, confidence to pray, and finally he gives us the promise of eternal life that we will be with him when he comes again on that last day. At the start of the sermon, I asked you this. Those great and powerful gifts that God has given us should make us unshakable, immovable, rock solid in his promises, a light on a hill that cannot be hidden. But what happens when they don't? What happens when we doubt? When we have real questions that don't seem to have real answers? Dear saints, when you struggle with doubt, the answer is clear. Draw near to Jesus. Never pull away. Draw closer to him, and he will answer your questions. He will carry you through. He will keep his promises to you. He will restore you and give you joy, even in the midst of things that we can't control or understand. Christian faith, life in Jesus, life in the gift of baptism that he gives to us, helps us to rejoice in all things. In the name of Jesus, amen. And now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.